Amen. So we're going to open up. I'm not going to be before us too long because the Lord just made it short and sweet. If you haven't noticed, we have already been in the word, and I hope that every person that is under the sound of my voice, you have your pen, you have your paper, hallelujah, you have your Bibles open so that we can get in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to your name, Father. So I want to have Mr. Mr. Jason here. <laughs> I'm going to have Mr. Jason open up and begin to read for us. And we're going to start at John chapter 4. First voice. So we're just before we start reading, I want to do a little recap. So we're studying the life of Jesus. First, it was the introduction of Jesus. Then we begin to see how Jesus came to set the record straight. He come for the counted out. He come for the poor in spirit. He come for those who uh, are are mourning. He come for those who who show meekness. And those who are the peacemakers, we even covered how Jesus began to move and just how the religious order begins to attack the spirit of God moving in the earth. And Jesus himself, we, we learned about John the Baptist and how he was called into the wilderness to preach the gospel. Um, and this is all leading us somewhere. John the Baptist preached. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. He was asking for the people of God to prepare and to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near and that Jesus Christ was coming into the world. So now we're here where Jesus comes into the world from a baby. He was literally um, being chased after to be killed. And once he became a a, a there's a part that I didn't mention, but I'm just going to share it with you for time's sake, that even at 12 years old, 12 years old, Jesus was sitting. One time, Mary and Joseph, his mother and father, they were looking for him, and they couldn't find him and, they, and him, and they were literally about to lose their minds, and they happened to run across him sitting at the synagogue learning from the elders. So Jesus was already sitting at the feet before anything. He was he was already learning um what the gospel and, and the scripture um at twelve years old. So when his mother and father found him, he said, Where else shall I be? Hallelujah. And other than sitting at the feet of the father. So I wanted to share that. That's one part that we didn't cover, but I thank God for just bringing it to my mind right now. And then when you see Jesus begin to grow up and the first thing happens, he he gets baptized. So first he received the word at 12. He was studying the word, right? 
He was learning the word. He was being cultivated in the word. And even though he was the son of God, he still sat at the elder's feet to learn. So that that just makes me, it just astonishes me. If Jesus came to be um, an example for us and, and how we should live, it amazes me how some some men and women of God, they already have word inside of them, but they feel like they're too, uh, they're, they're too, I'll say this, in other words, they're too prideful to sit, continue to sit and learn. This is a big problem in the church. This is a big problem in the house of God. Everybody wants to be teachers. Most of everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to give the word of God. We're not even understanding the life of Christ, which is the example and how we should live. So here it is, Jesus, he's the son of God. He is, the Bible calls him, he is the word, hallelujah. So here it is, the word was still sitting at the feet of the elders in the synagogue. <clears throat> so even, so that's, there's a little nugget there. So even when you think you know it all or you've, or you've been seasoned in the word, the Lord is saying there's still a place of humility and also a place of learning for which you shall, know, uh, for which you shall continue to grow. The Bible says that a wise man, a wise man, a wise man, hallelujah, will continue his learning. It's a fool who said, I don't need no correction or I don't need to learn anymore because I know, hallelujah. So, okay, so here it is, Jesus, he's 12, he's sitting at the feet, and then you see him as he got older, being baptized by John the Baptist. Here's another way, another understanding of you can that you can get from Jesus' heart, right? So here it is again, another situation, another monumental time in his life where he still humbles himself even though he didn't need it. <laughs> okay, check this out. So John the Baptist was the one preaching. He said, no, I can't, I'm not even worthy of tying the sandals on his feet. This is how John the Baptist was preaching when he was uh, preaching the gospel. But when he finally sees Jesus and Jesus asked him to be baptized, he said, no, 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 no. You should be baptizing me. And so to make the long story short, Jesus was like, no, go ahead and baptize me. And, you know, so it, so the scriptures can be fulfilled. Right? So after he gets baptized, here it is. Jesus is led into the wilderness. And the wilderness is where he was was tested and tried by the enemy. The Bible says that the spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness, and he was being tempted and tried by the devil. The Bible says that he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And in the midst of his temptation, he had to learn, I hope y'all catching this in the spirit, he had to learn how to uh, combat the enemy with the word of God. Once he combated the enemy and rebuked Satan, the Bible says the angels, they came and they comforted him. Okay, so fast forwarding, so now Jesus is out. 
He's moving around. He's being sent out. He's preaching now. And he's preaching, and now he's calling. He was calling the disciples. And I love that. So immediately, it was his desire to extend the kingdom. And, and he began to look for disciples, which means disciplined learning. All right? So we... We, so now we're at the place where now we're just trying. I want, I believe that God wants us to see how he dealt with people because that's also another issue in the house of God. We say that we love God. We say that we worship God. We say that we love Jesus and we know Jesus, but somehow there's a disconnect when it comes from, um, there's a disconnect when it comes to how we treat each other. So, or even how we treat ourselves. First, we must love God. Then that will give us the ability. He will teach us to, because the Bible says God is love. Then he gives us the ability to love ourselves. And then we, when we love ourselves, we're able to extend that love to another. So what's happening in the house of God all over the nation and all over the world is that we don't, we say we love God, but we don't even love ourselves and we're his creation. We say, oh, I praise you and I love you, Jesus, but we don't love our brothers and sisters. And that's just a reflection of how we see ourselves. Okay. And there's a little nugget here, if you, and I hope that you're listening, that and know that there's still a dysfunction of, of your relationship with God if you begin to even love people more than you love your own self. There's still a disconnection. Why? Because then you will make people your God instead of God. We must first love, we must first love God, and God will teach us how to love ourselves. And if we love ourselves enough, not everything is going to fly by. Hallelujah. Not everything is going to just, I won't just be, I won't be afraid to share my wants, my desires, who I am as a person. Just because you, you become true to yourself and you don't allow certain things in your life doesn't make you a bad person. And, and this, there's a gospel out there that's saying, oh, love, 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 love. But there's no love without wisdom. There's no love without discipline. There's no love without truth. There's no love without faith. Yes, I can love you, but I'm not going to let you lead me into my demise. Yes, I can love you, but I'm not going to partake into your sin. Yes, I can love you, but I love myself first enough if I know that you are toxic and you have toxic ways about yourself. So, you can love people, but love in wisdom. So one of the ways that Jesus began to move, and, and, and hey, you want scripture to back up? I don't know why the Lord is leading me in this direction, but you want scripture to back up what I just said. There was a, there, in scripture, the Bible says that Jesus went into a town. and. There were people, they were calling him. They were pulling on him. They were trying to get him to come out to him. So here it is. The son of God loved himself. The word himself 
The Bible says that he stayed inside and he hid himself because he knew what was in their heart. He knew that they didn't really want him um, for real. He, they wanted, they had own selfish motives and agendas of why they wanted to see him. And the Bible says that he hid himself from them. Okay, so John chapter 4. Sorry, John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. John chapter 4. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Shekar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Stop right there. Okay, let's break this down. <clears throat> So we see that Jesus had come to Samaria, and there was a woman there. She was at Jacob's well, which she had called her forefathers. And back then, the the the, the Jews did not, although Jacob is supposed to be the Jews' father, too. Come on now. The Jews did not want to drink the same place, or even dwell in the same place as the Samaritans, okay? But here was Jesus. He knew that. He knew. He saw it again. He knew the separation. He knew the foolish religion that these people were following, and he went and he began to ask for a drink. So one thing about Jesus, and I hope that we're seeing some repetition here, um, throughout our studies is that Jesus will ask you a question 
and he already knows the answer, but he wants you to see your own um, situation yourself. And I believe when you begin to see yourself, then you become, then you are more likely to acknowledge where you need to grow. Okay. So here it is. He's sitting. He asks this, this Samaritan woman to drink, right? And immediately she goes into defense mode and she says, you know what? Why are you coming here? In other words, why are you asking me to drink? You know the Jews, they don't want to drink with us. And that's the key thing. Here it is. The Jewish people at the time, they were proclaiming to be um, the chosen ones, the chosen by God, but they refused to drink from the Samaritan people, although the Samaritans, you know, they are professing that their forefathers were also a children of God, right? So let us continue. Oh, yeah, and I want to share this too, and this is so powerful, that she's, she's doing, here she is, she's toiling in the natural, right? She's setting water to quench a thirst, but Jesus had come to say the water that I am willing to give you, you will never thirst again. And so that's the same message of the gospel, that all the tangible things that we try to do to uh, fulfill a need, you know, it's just temporary. It's, it's, it's temporal. So we cannot, So, but Jesus, when he comes into the picture, he's letting you know, listen, I see what you're doing, you know, but let me give you something that you will never thirst again. Okay, let us continue. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Stop right there. So this woman immediately, immediately after she heard about the living water, she asked for it. She wanted it. She knew that even though she was there fetching water, that that she was still empty, that she was still thirsty. She said, whatever water that you have, I want this water. I want this water that you're talking about, hallelujah, that I will never thirst again. And I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Oh, Rabbi Shundo, hallelujah. Check this out. So here it is. She said, oh, Lord, you know, she said, oh, because she didn't know he was the Lord yet. She said, oh, man, you have water that I'll never be able to thirst again. This is the water unto eternal life. She said, I want this water. The first thing Jesus did was expose her issue that that was stopping up her. In other words, that was causing a drought in her life that was stopping her 
from receiving the living water, the eternal water that he was speaking to her about. So immediately he began to say, okay, you want this living water? Let me show you the hindrance. So what is wrong with the house of God, with the, with the, the kingdom of God, the people of God, where we are afraid to begin to share and preach to people their sin about their sins and tell them to come out of what's blocking them from the living water. Now with this gospel where, you know, we have to be co politically correct or we shouldn't be able to, we shouldn't, even though we're sharing Jesus, Jesus is not the Jesus that will offend you or expose you. No, 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 no. This, this is the Jesus of the scripture we're talking about here. He was gentle. He was loving. And he just said, he said, okay, you want this. You want this living water. But this, but first you have to remove the hindrance. Let us continue to read. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Third, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you claim, you Jews claim, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what Stop we right do. Stop right there. Stop right there. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. How many people in this new millennium worship what they do not know? So here she is. She's, she's, she's professing her ancestors. She said she was the, 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 the lineage of Jacob. She was even pitching her water from a well that she said he named that belonged to him. But here it is, she done had five husbands. So hold on now, Jacob was the one who was a child of God. He knew the word. He was a, he, he knew the scriptures, right? But here it is, she said that I, I am, my, my, my ancestors, my forefathers, is Jacob, but here it is, I have had five husbands, and the one that I have now is not even my husband. So here it is, Jesus again exposing religion and tradition and not relationship with Christ, not relationship with the Word of God, not the relationship with the Father. He was he was sharing with her that, listen, you worship what you do not know. How Every time I talk to, like, I just have random conversations with some people, and 90% of the time, and this what literally brings tears to my eyes, 
90% of the time when you when I'm out preaching the gospel and sharing the good news with people, they the their reaction to me is, "Oh, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I know God." But when you get into hallelujah, the depths of who they really are and what they believe, you begin to I begin to realize that they worship they worship what they do not know. And you know what's the sad part about it? Now some when they come into the enlightenment, right? When they come into accepting and, and understanding that they have been worshiping the wrong way or they have been worshiping what they do not know, some of them they come into the gospel and their lives become changed, right? But then there's some that when God uses me to expose where they are and he begins to show them that they're not in a position of salvation, some of them still want to take the, their own comfortability, their own, in other words, their own religion, their own tradition, and wrap themselves up and say, no, I'm good. Even though deep down in their hearts, they know that God is calling them. And they don't realize that this is, this is a separate, this is them acknowledging that I'm separated from God. That if Jesus Christ come back, that I will be eternally lost. And they say, no, 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 I'm good with God. I'm saved. I know God. Who are you to teach me about God? But according to the scripture, Jesus, he talked to people over and over and over about the same identical matters of the heart that was separating them from him. So continue, please. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, and I, I am he. Mm-hmm. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Stop right there. So immediately, she didn't take his, his, she didn't take 
his honesty, his truth, his exposing her and where she was as an offense. She was shocked. She was astonished. And the Bible says that immediately she ran to her town and she told her village everything about Jesus, the man who told her everything she did. So that there's the same step in repetition. She received the word. She acknowledged, obviously she acknowledged where she was. She realized her need for the living water and that her acknowledging and accepting her acknowledging and accepting where she was opened the door for her to receive the living water. And when she received, you can tell she received it because she then ran and she shared the gospel. And that's what God wants us to do. Once he began to change us, enlighten us, you know, we should, as believers, we should have that desire to share that truth with someone else. And I, I want to just really go into the depths because um, when I was studying the word this morning, um, the Lord began to really, really put on my heart to understand true repentance and use the woman at the well as an example, okay? So let's take a look at the word repent. Right? All throughout the scriptures, first, you know, first we saw John the Baptist uh, preaching repent. Then you saw Jesus preaching repent. Then you saw Jesus actually interacting with a sinner who thought they were religious or thought they were saved. And and then in his own way, he was saying, hey, you got to repent. So what does repent mean? I, I review the definition. And the definition says to turn from and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life, to feel regret or to change one's mind. So first, to repent means to turn from sin. A lot of people think that, okay, I feel sorry. I got the part where I feel sorry or feel regret, but there's no turning from sin. See, the woman at the well, when she left Jesus, she didn't go run back. The Bible didn't say that she went and ran back to the man that she was living with. The Bible says that she left her well, all the, even the water she was pitching, and she ran and she began to evangelize. So in other words, that began to reveal that there was a change in heart. There was a change um, in repentance. So, and then one strong word that I wanted to stand, wanted to um, point out to you, ded dedicate, to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. That means that, so when you think about repentance, and then you think about dedicate. So now, first I turn from sin. That means I go in a different direction, not only feeling sad about it or regretting it, but 
I turn in a different direction, and then I dedicate myself to continue in the, the direction that I'm going. I don't start the new direction and then turn back around and go back and do the same thing and just say, oh, God is going to forgive me. So, for example, and then also, look, it said to change one's mind. So in that area of sin, in that area of falling short, there has to you have to be, begin to replace those thoughts that got you into the sin with what with the with the righteousness of the word of God in order to break that stronghold off your mind. A lot of problems with the the house of God today, the reason why we can't be free is because we're not the Bible says renew your mind daily. So we're not renewing our mind in that new direction in that in the in the new word that God wants to give to us in our lives. Okay? Now, for example, if you find yourself where you are rebellious or covetous or, you know, you're struggling with lying or, you know, you find yourself not really having love for people, if you have anger or rage or you find yourself gossiping or backbiting, these are the things that are in the, the, the sinful human nature. Just because you feel it in your body doesn't mean you have to turn into the into that same direction of your feelings. Because above all things, we must place God's word into our hearts. And a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, mischievousness is a sin. Let's take a look at the definition of mischievousness. It's basically causing or in, uh, or intended to cause harm or trouble, trouble, not just harm, a malicious allegation for which there is not a shred of evidence. So here it is, someone who's blaming and lying on someone, um, you know, that is trying to paint this nasty picture of someone, um, you know what I'm saying, without a shred of evidence. Now I have a question. How many people, how many, how many people that has turned your heart against another and without any shred of evidence of what they've done? And this, the devil plays so, so so well in this area. So in other words, first you need evidence. First you need to, if you want to try to look at somebody and try to determine if you want them in your life or not, make sure that you're looking at their character, who they are, if there's any evidence of what somebody has said about them. Also look at how they treat you. If they're talking about, talking about someone else to you, then I guarantee you they're going to go ahead and do the same thing to you. So malicious uh, mischievousness is not of God, and God doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't vibe with that, in other words, okay? So let's take a look at some synonyms. Usually someone who's mischievous, they are hostile, spiteful, bitter. The dictionary say 
venomous, poisonous, evil intentions. So, and there's people out there that will create relationships with you or spark conversations with you with evil intentions, only getting you to see things their way, turn you from a specific person that they probably hate. Another synonym is vengeful, um, nasty, harmful, hurtful, destructive, wounding, cruel, unkind. So, and this also, and if you have been a victim of someone who has been mischievous, then you have to repent. You have to ask the Lord to forgive you because you have partaken in that sin. There was no righteousness in you or enough word to be able to combat the lies of the devil. God will never allow um, someone else to come to you and tear down his creation, the very same person that he shed his blood for. God will never partake into you even backbiting or slandering or destroying a person's character for coarse joking or even being spiteful or angry. God is not, he said, how can you, the Bible says, how can you love God? In other words, how can you love God that you don't see, but in other words, don't love your brother that you see every day? So how is it that we say we love God? We don't even see him, you know, but but then we say that we see our brother every day, but we say that we hate them. So God is not down for that. And um, it shows that, okay, if you are recognizing these issues within your heart or you're recognizing that, wow, to repent is to literally turn away from and to go into what is out of the negative and into the positive. The woman of the well, she went out of the negative and into a positive way of life, and that was sharing the good news, which is the gospel of Christ. And remember, if you don't understand or even know what what is slander, slander is the action or, or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. So why is God having me go there? Because a lot of times when we say, oh, I'm sin, I am, um, how can I say, oh, I want to repent because I have sin. You're probably thinking about getting drunk, having sex before marriage, cussing, fighting, you know, all stealing, but God is talking about the inward change that he needs to see. See, the the woman with, at the well had a deeper issue that allowed her to, that caused her to have five husbands, and then she was living with a man that she wasn't even married to. It wasn't just the outward sin, it was the condition of her heart, which was traditional stinko religion, continuously denying, being in denial, continuously uh, rejecting truth that put her in a position to live a whole lot of lies and then said that she worshiping the Lord. So if you're not even in slander or you're not uh, being malicious, 
You should take this in every area, every walk of your life, that every sin, outward sin, it has a root. Sometimes we're trying to get rid of the, 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 the branches of sin, which is the evidence that you see in, in the natural, but we're not paying attention to, okay, what's causing me to sin? Where did this all begin? Why do I think this way? Why every time I turn um, from it, I turn right back to it? <laughs> There's a root. There's a root. And you will never be able to pluck out that root until you realize that the water that you've been pitching is just a waste of time. Once you understand that the water you've been pitching, whether whether if it's relationships, whether if it's a way of thinking, whether if it's pornography, whether if it's uh, masturbation, whatever it is, the water that you've been pitching is going to continuously cause you to run dry. When you realize that you're going to continuously run dry and you turn to that living water, then you can be changed. Then you can uproot the root that causes you to sin. What if that sin was, I mean, what if the root was you being molested as a child? What if the root was you experienced deep rejection? What if, what if, what if that root is that you were exposed to these things before you could even talk? Now, these are the things that we don't conquer as uh, the children of God because we're busy focusing on the outward sin. Well, we need to take more time at the feet of Christ, studying in his word so that he can begin to pluck away and dig out the things that's separating us from him. So I just want to end it there that um, every one of us, every child of God, whether you sin big or great, we are like that woman at the well. We were pitching water and we was continuously running dry and it wasn't until Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior came and caused us to drink a water that caused us not to be thirsty again so that's a conclude the conclusion of today's message and series of continuing um, the life of Christ and we're going to actually close this thing fully out tomorrow, uh, tonight um, at 6.30 at the FIU campus. So if you can be there, we'll love to see you there. Amen. And that is the word. Amen. Powerful, powerful message today. I uh, hope you were blessed. I know you were blessed in this series, The Life of Jesus Christ. Um, this series will be made available, uh, so you can always check our website, firerealmglobal.com, to just continue to check up on um, the, the, the messages and what's available. But I wanted to just um, piggyback a little bit on what was said and how that uh, even in Jesus' day, you can still see um, a lot of the things that was even going on at that time uh still going on today in 2019. Do you know over in Israel right now, they are 
um, Jews that um, migrated from being scattered during the time of um, even Nebuchadnezzar, and the they are Jews even that are uh, in Israel right now have a has a have an issue with even those. They are Nazarenes, uh, even that exist right now. So the hostility, even among the Jewish people, among their own brothers, because they were different tribes, they were 12 tribes, and the hostility that the Jews uh, looked at the Samaritans with is still going on today, but it's just in a different form. They, you know, it's just amazing how, and these are religious devout uh Jews that believe in Judaism they don't believe in in the uh in the New Testament and Jesus Christ being the Messiah but they have an intense hostility even toward the Nazarenes that are uh or, uh um that are uh, in the in, in Israel or the um those who have migrated from uh, uh, Africa or Ethiopia because God, he scattered the tribes. I mean, it's uh, it's just amazing to me. And you can see, still see the hostility to the very day, even though they are all brothers. So it just shows how how even what Jesus dealt with in his day, how he had to get past all that hostility just to be able to minister to this woman. And even the uh, even his disciples asked him, "Why are you talking?" He they thought to themselves, "Why why 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 is he talking to her?" So even his own disciples, those who were following Christ, had to get that hostility issue out of them. So don't think that you know even you as a believer that you have to be perfect and things like that. No, God is in the business of digging us out. He's in the business of. Uh, of uh, getting uh, things in order in our lives. So that's even encouragement there to not give up on yourself as as what was uh, preached today. So, so amen. Powerful, powerful message. It will be continued this evening as we close out the series. I hope you download it. I hope you um, you you also share it or, or whatnot on your on your social media or to people. I think it's very, very powerful people to understand the life of Jesus Christ. So so amen to that. God bless everyone. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful day, and we'll see you at uh, 6.30. God bless you. Bye. See you later.